Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode 44, and I, as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Generally, things are okay. Um, I'm a little bit under the weather, but other than that, uh, I'm right as rain. Yeah, under the weather, and you sound like you're in a large room, or at least that's the way you sound on my end. But Nope, I'm in the office, the same room I'm always in. Yeah, it sounds like you're in a stadium or something. They've, that, I don't know, I was screwing with my audio setup, because I didn't realize it, but for the longest time I haven't been going through my sound card, and now I've gone back over to having everything plugged into my sound card, and... I kind of forgot the night and day difference there is when you do and don't use a sound card. So I'm still trying to get used to this again. Well, we're all make, moving to new platforms. Hopefully by the next time we're recording, I'll be on 7 instead of Vista. Yeah, I need to get around to installing the actual official release of 7 compared to the release candidate, because the release candidate, I've had it installed for months, and it's getting a little... Slow anyway, and generally speaking, about every six months, I like to reformat whenever I can, just to make things nice and fast at all times. But hopefully that'll happen sometime here real soon. I don't know, actually, now that it's, um, I've heard some news about the new NVIDIA cards, which that's our first story, I plan on going ahead and ordering all the parts for a new computer and just putting Windows 7 on that. So that that's kind of the goal here for the next couple of weeks or so. Ah, so you're going to go, you're going to go NVIDIA, are you? No, I'm going ATI. Okay, alright, good. I don't know, (laughs) I'm kind of hoping they announce the dual GPU ATI cards sometime soon. I I know there's been pictures and stuff of them floating around, and I know they're extremely large cards. I think they come in at like 13 and a half inches long. But I'm I'm just kind of hoping they come out sometime soon, or at least say how much they're going to cost, so I know kind of what card for sure that I'm going to go with. But at the way it's looking now, that's probably going to be the, my last component to order, just in case. Yeah, I wish I had an idea of when they were coming out. Yeah, I wish they would say, from the sounds of it, they made it sound like they were waiting for NVIDIA to announce something, and then they were going to come out with that right away after that, from just from various reports that I've read online when they leaked the images of the new dual GPU card, but since um, in, in our first story, NVIDIA is pushing back their cards to the first quarter of 2010, I'm not sure if I should be holding my breath. Yeah, and uh, looks like there's also rumors that they might actually try to diversify and go into the x86 market also. So there's a lot of mixed signals coming out of uh, NVIDIA right now. Yeah, there were there seemed to be some rumors in the last week and over the weekend and stuff that NVIDIA is going to jump into the x86 game just to compete even more with Intel. Because at this point, NVIDIA seems to kind of be struggling with no real sense of direction anyway. But I guess they had a call with investors or something like that, and they said that there's going to be no x86 chip, and all their Fermi-based cards are going to be pushed back into sometime in the first quarter of 2010, or their their uh, first fiscal quarter or something like that of 2010, which I believe is runs from late January to late April. 
Well, if you want to parse the statements, um, what of what they said about on the being on the call and not doing x86, um, I think they said that their Tegra platform uh, is their um, only full processor that Nvidia is making. Yeah. That... Um, so may it could be a partial x86 uh, stream processor GPU hybrid, in which they have a small portion. <laughs> Um, or most of the hard work is done by the GPU, and the small portion that they can't emulate on a GPU might be offloaded to a partial x86 system. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been wondering about the Zune HD, because I know the Zune HD uses the Tegra chip, and I'm kind of curious to know if that's pretty much offloading most everything to the Tegra chip, or if it's, or if the Tegra chip is just there for like video processing and stuff. Well, the Tinker Trip apparently is uh, has ARM and has uh, it's kind of like a system on a chip. It has a the gra- the graphics processor that's a little bit separate from the compute engine, which is the ARM-based system, and the memory controller and like the chipset is all in one chip. All that is in one package, uh, so it's self pretty self-contained from what I understand. Yeah, I haven't looked into it too much, I, but I know it is it performs really well from what I've heard. Which, yeah, and I wonder if they can just maybe use it as a traffic cop and do most of the processing on the GPU. I'm getting to the point where I wish all processing just about would be on the GPU, or at least I would like there to be some kind of a plug-in or something to allow Audacity to use the GPU for um, encoding stuff, because that, that would save me a ton of time when it comes to encoding the show into an MP3, because right now it takes, mm, it seems like it's taken around like seven minutes or something like that to encode the show using the CPU, but if it used the GPU, it would be done in a whole lot faster time. Well, you know that the ATI cards, the newer ones, the, especially the newer drivers, come with a built-in transcoder. That's what I'm looking forward to, at least for the video anyway. I have um, the Bada Boom software that's a third-party software that I can do that with NVIDIA cards, with the NVIDIA card I have. But for some reason, it doesn't really want to work. It's con- It constantly crashes for some reason, so I basically just wasted 20 30 bucks, whatever it was that I spent on it. It just, for some reason, no matter what version of... Um, graphics drivers I use, whenever I try and use it, it crashes the graphics drivers. And I can't for the life of me understand why. Well, that's the good thing about the, I guess, the ATI uh, transcoder is that it's built into the driver, so it's always up to date, and they're always uh, compatible. And they get bug fixes regularly. Now, the question I had on those was, um, does the transcoder for the ATI, does that uh, support multiple GPUs and Crossfire? Yes, it does. It does. Um, I, I, I can tell you that, um, generally speaking, that I've seen it done. Uh, question is, I don't know if the latest ones support Crossfire just because I deal with a lot of pre-release software. <laughs> yeah. But um, if it doesn't now, it will in the future. Well, that's even more reason for me to go with ATI then, because I was thinking about doing some crossfire. But Yeah, because we uh, I work with the, the 
the advanced compute team. We, we sit next to each other. And for scaling, they use Crossfire all the time to do large, like, uh, matrix multiplies and stuff like that. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Well, I guess I'd probably better get to building my computer soon, because I'm going to need something to get on Facebook so I can have more friends. Well, the thing is, if you are on Facebook and on Twitter and all these other social networks, most of the time you probably spend uh, your time away from the computer and more socializing. Yeah, I would have to say that's not really the case for me, just because there's nothing really to do in this town for me to go anywhere much with my friends other than like lunch or something like that. So I can't say it's done much for me to be more social with the people I know. But. Well, it seems that, the, generally speaking anyway, that social networking, uh, instead of decreasing social interaction as once thought, is doing quite the opposite, is actually increasing uh, social interaction with one's peers. Yeah, this story comes out of my favorite project, the Pew Internet and American Life Project. Apparently they... One of the things that they decided to investigate was the social social isolation and new technology and how it all kind of interacts, where apparently a lot of people think that if you're on Facebook and stuff all the time, you don't get to spend any time with your friends and stuff, where instead it's actually it says that it's actually making you more social. I don't remember where I saw the figure a while back, but it seemed like there was something to the extent of the average person can main maintain decent relationships with approximately 130 people, but if they yeah. use Facebook, it's approximately 150 people, or something to that extent. Yeah, and I would also like to extend that out if you uh, do a better management system, like uh, if you use different kinds of grouping, I think you can move that out to, to even further uh, to, to more people. Yeah, I, I was actually kind of a little bit surprised by this. I mean, it, to an extent, it makes sense if, if it's talking about just Facebook, but they're also kind of lump things like Twitter and stuff in here too, which kind of surprises me because it seems like I most of the time the people when I see people on Twitter, they're not the same kind of people that I would generally interact with in in the normal world. So I it wouldn't it doesn't really make me any more social. If anything, probably even less social. Well, that's one thing they did point out, is that the, usually the, the interaction is between a more diverse crowd of people, the people who do use social networking. Um, I, I wonder if there's a certain age group this is focused on, or if this is just in general, for the general populace. Because they said most people who use Twitter anyway, or the, or the fastest demographic is the 40-plus, Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wonder if it's people who generally are stay at home get into social networking like they had no experience before that, and then they grew out um, their so their physical their, their real life social networking from that. So going from zero to twenty is a dramatic increase instead of someone who's growing from already very social, have two hundred friends, and now they have. Uh, 300 friends. That's not as big of an increase. Yeah, it does seem they do make sure to kind of point out that 
you do become more social when you use things like this, but there's also some downsides. Apparently there was a um, study coming out of the UK in, within the last month saying that because of employees are spending so much time on Twitter and other social networks that it's costing the costing UK businesses 1.38 billion pounds a year or 2.25 billion dollars and it's also been known to show that um, college students who spend lots of time on Facebook get lower grades too right but that's also let's say um, causation um, saying that from, we'll go into the first one saying that they're losing money because people are on Facebook. That's assuming people would be working if they weren't on Facebook. Same thing with college students, where they're saying that they get lower grades. Maybe they they tend to do things other than studying, and not saying that not saying that necessarily that Facebook is causing them to get lower grades, but more that they get lower grades because they choose to spend their time not studying. And if it wasn't Facebook, it'd be something else like video games or watching TV or going to the movies. Yeah, I think in the end it's all about um, what you spend your time doing on something like a Facebook or whatever. And just how dedicated you really are to work or school or whatever. I think that's kind of what it comes down to in the end. Alright. Well, one thing we can both agree on is that uh, whatever social network you're using, it's probably not going to be MySpace. Yeah, MySpace continues its descent down the tubes. Uh, apparently now it's traffic has dropped so low that it's costing News Corporation a hundred million dollars because apparently there was some um, when they signed an agreement with Google a 900 million dollar ad agreement there myspace was not allowed to drop below a certain point of traffic and apparently they've dropped well below that and it looks like it's costing them about a hundred million dollars now yeah I'm not sure if I read this right but it seems like the the acquisition of MySpace when um, when Rupert Mur Murdoch purchased them, uh, a News Corp, that some of that was funded by Google with an anticipation of the kind of traffic. And so a lot of that money got paid up up, up front by Google, and now since MySpace is not meet, meeting their obligations, that they have to kind of dole some of that money back. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how this works, but apparently, from the, from the way it looks, um, MySpace pretty much accounts for maybe 15% of news corporations' revenue, with the rest of it coming from movie studios and cable channels. So apparently the whole company as a whole still has a positive outlook, but MySpace itself is coming is going down the tubes, and I wouldn't be too surprised if they try and offload it to somebody else if at all if they can find somebody dumb enough to buy it yeah it's kind of sad that uh, that 15% of News Corp is MySpace unless I'm reading this wrong mm -hmm. but it seems to imply that which it, it's a total shock to me yeah I, I was kind of surprised when I saw it I, mean, I knew that News Corp was much bigger than MySpace but I didn't realize it was that much bigger than MySpace. Yeah. What they need to do is split up MySpace, kind of like GeoCities, <laughs> and just try to uh, make it more formal. Uh, kind of like what you YouTube did with some of its efforts, at least what they 
tried to do is like spit it off a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it's still uh, YouTube under the hood, but then they had like a movie section and TV section. I think if anything, I think they just kind of need to throw the whole social network aspect out of it out the window, which I know seems a little bit counterintuitive could, from the way it looks like everything is moving right now. But I think they need to get rid of all of that and then just focus on the artists and stuff that they have on there with all the music artists and amateur filmmakers and stuff that they have on there and try and work with them on monetizing their content and stuff and work on it and just evolve the evolve MySpace into being just um, music and movies and stuff like that and turn it into an entertainment thing rather than a social network. Yeah, make every page a fan page basically is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. Speaking of fan pages, there is a Global Geek News fan page on Facebook that everybody can fan up. Not on MySpace? Um, technically, I guess you could say that there is. Um, it's actually my MySpace account, but I've got the show logo on there, and I think I've got the Global Geek News name on there. I, I just have never really done anything with it. I think I've got like maybe three friends friended on there, and that's it. Okay, so kind of like what uh, News Corp did with MySpace. They haven't really done anything with it. Yeah, pretty much. Well, speaking of things that aren't getting played with very much... Ooh, nice Apparently, Sony's PSP Go sold an abysmal amount of units the first day in Japan, just like I predicted it would. Apparently, they only managed to sell 28,000 units the first day in Japan, only 1,000 the first day in Australia, and just for comparison's sake... When the PSP first launched, the first day in Japan, it sold 171,000 units, or actually just under 172. Even when the PSP 2000 came out, which is the PSP Slim, they still sold 130,000. So, considering this is supposed to be the new greatest thing, even better, no UMD and everything, it's still a complete flop. Yeah, and this is first day sales, and I bet they have a lot of second day returns. Um, because of the performance of the gadget uh, and the lack of content. Yeah, the lack of content and the fact that they're going to have to buy all new accessories and have to buy all their games over again. And the I believe the memory stick changed to something other than it's not the memory stick Pro Duo, I believe. I'm not 100% positive of that, but I'm pretty sure that they changed to something else. So I, I'm sure that there are going to be a fair bit of returns, or at least there's going to be a whole bunch of PSP Go's showing up on eBay. But in, Yeah, in, uh, and then what, $250 price tag? Yeah, just like the PSP was when it first launched. Yeah, yeah no thank you, sir. Yeah. In the end, I was right. They were wrong. I'm happy. So, <laughs> that's just the way I see it. I'm kind of glad this is failing miserably with how horribly they implemented this. Yeah, uh, I hope they're really sitting down and taking a look at this and figuring out where they went wrong. Um, Maybe try to uh, clean house, go a different direction, figure out whose idea this was and why it was unsuccessful because I think Sony tries to go their own way and and try to drag people along with it. I think they really need to have uh, a mental shift and figure out what people want 
and then try to figure out how they can fulfill that need. I think the biggest problem was they kind of screwed their existing customers when they had been all along saying there would be some kind of a conversion program so that you could convert your UMDs and put them on the PSP Go. Then they came out and say, well, you couldn't do that because of technical and legal reasons, which, from the sounds of it, the program actually probably never existed in the first place. I think that just kind of really irritated a lot of people and really turned them off. Yeah, the same thing. They're going their own direction. You will want this, and you'll spend all this kind of money for it. They have a really good hit with the PlayStation 1. Another one with the PlayStation 2, and then after that, they're like, we can't go wrong, let's just do what we can to make as much money as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see just how fast they kill off the PSP Go or come out with a, an actual PSP sequel or something to that effect. But maybe it's just the fact that they've become too complicated. Yeah, just like the cell phone. Uh, the inventor of the cell phone says, you know, I'm lost with these newfound gadgets. <laughs> yeah, this kind of doesn't surprise me, and to an extent I agree with him. Apparently, uh, Dr. Martin Cooper, the former lead engineer of the Motorola team that developed the first cell phone, says that apparently whenever you... Uh, the actual quote is, whenever you create a universal device that does all things for all people, it does not do all things well. Our future, I think, is a number of specialist devices that focus on one thing that will improve our lives. And I've always kind of been a big fan of this theory. I've never been a real big fan of having one thing do everything. That's why when it comes to whenever I'm like building a computer or whatever, I'm all about the dedicated sound cards, the graphics cards and everything. I don't want any of that in integrated crap because it doesn't do half the job a dedicated card would do. Yeah, I kind of agree with him here on some things. Um, but uh, when we're talking about web applications and the power of the web, there are tons of web applications that can that are getting more and more powerful. And then when you talk about a device that can adequately render those services, uh, I think we're getting really, really close to the jack-of-all-trades, master of all. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I... I still won't see the day coming where we can have a camera built into a cell phone that's not total crap. And we're getting a little bit better, but it's still nowhere near what you can get compared to a standalone actual digital camera. Sure. Um, but there's technology that exists. The question is, will it become uh, in the price point to make it profitable for people to put them in phones? Yeah, in the end, that probably does, it just kind of comes down to profit, but I don't know, as far as I'm concerned, give me all the gadgets, I don't care if they each have their own function, I don't really care to have one thing that does everything, because I prefer everything to do something and do it well. Yeah, with the limitation of battery life nowadays, I'm with you on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's probably why I've never been... I like things like the App Store on the iPhone, but there are times when it's like, really? Why would you put this in here? I mean, even the Amazon Kindle app on the iPhone, it's 
the iPhone or the iPod Touch or whatever is a backlit device. It's not meant for reading a large bunch of text compared to something like an actual Kindle. Yeah, I mean, it's weird what you can find on those things nowadays. Yeah, well, apparently you can even find the Mein Kampf on the App Store. Yours? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not mine, but yours. Now, apparently uh, this is from... I thought I read that this is just in Germany. I haven't heard it um, out for the U.S. Well, it said it was in Spanish. Or uh, Spanish. So I'm guessing it's... Yeah, so I guess it's in the Spanish-speaking uh, region. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't catch up exactly where it was either. Uh, but... Uh, there it is, a uh, big icon with a uh, swastika on it, Mein Kampf. Uh, and if you're nine years old or older, it's perfect for you. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm most surprised about. The fact that they're saying that it's fine for anybody nine years old and older to read it, or the fact that they approve this when they don't approve pretty much anything else. That has yeah, it's um, racially motivated, I should say. Yeah, the the, the mind of uh, of a person who helped orchestrate one of the biggest wars in the history of the world, uh, and uh, he gets to be put right there on your iPhone for you to read. I personally, I mean, it's a book. I don't think there's censorship. That should prevent people from reading this, of course. But it's not on the content. It's of uh, the whelm of the people who hold the keys to the gate and how their inconsistency can be frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with this being on there. I'm kind of in favor of it being on there. Not that I've ever read it, not that I ever planned to. I, but I think having the, a rating of nine years old and up is a little on the low side. But it's just kind of hypocritical when they just rejected an app because it's mocking Hitler. Yeah, or if it'll let you make a phone call. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear they're having even more issues with VoIP stuff now, or I guess they're trying to block more VoIP stuff and whatever. Uh, it seems like they need to get a better committee to run the app store. Well, it seems like one thing that we should uh, watch out for is that whenever something like this does get the eye of the and and the attention of the media, Apple s- seems to have some sort of response. So I'm kind of curious of what they'll say about this, or if they'll pull it from the store, which I'm guessing they'll do the latter. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised there wasn't an update right away saying this app has been pulled from the store or something like that. Uh, or I wonder if it uh, could be because the different regions have their own autonomy on what they approve and what they don't approve. I wonder if there is some internal debate, uh, some 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 dissension uh, going on inside the ranks of Apple. There could be. I don't know. It seems that Apple has a lot of issues, but apparently even iPhone users themselves have issues. So you, probably, so you might not want to date one. Yes. Um, apparently they are more likely to break up with you using text 
and uh, may not uh, may look down on you if you have an inferior device. Yeah, apparently this is a study coming out from a company by the name of Retrievo, I guess that's how that's pronounced, where apparently they did a gadgetology study, as they call it, to kind of gather information about the typical iPhone user, which apparently it showed that one in three iPhone users have texted or emailed their significant other to break up, one in four iPhone users have broken up with their partner because the other person spent too much time on their mobile device, and one in three iPhone owners say that if their partner had an out-of-date gadget, it would be a turn-off. Right. And one in five frequently uh, admits that uh, to frequently watching adult material, air quotes, on their iPhones. Compared, which is apparently twice as many as BlackBerry owners. Which, right. if it's anything like the BlackBerry I have, I don't even know how that's even possible in the first place. Because other than I can't get anything other than maybe static images and even at that they tend, by the time they get to my phone they're so compressed and everything you can't see much of anything right right <laughs> well I don't have an iPhone nor a Blackberry so uh, I can't fit into any, I don't feel I fit into any part of the survey but um, this was probably I, I wonder what their sample size is because it that seems like a very general statement since the iPhone is kind of, you know, it's mass market now. It's not people who are overly techy. It's 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 mom and pops and kids, um, especially since it's $99. It's almost like the entry smartphone. Yeah, I'd kind of like to see a comparison of um, this against the average person and any other phone or whatever and to know what the difference is in terms of how many one in how many people break up via text through a BlackBerry or something like that compared to just an iPhone. It, it seems like they could have done a whole lot better with the study to me. Yeah, it's it's comical and it's whimsical. Um, I've never heard of of uh, Retrievo before, but it's a little bit of an entertainment, and I don't think uh, it's going to be more than that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Would it make you think twice about dating an iPhone user, assuming you weren't married? Uh, I'm I'm married to an iPhone user. <laughs> ah, well, if your wife would let you date I, other iPhone users, would you? <laughs> I would say I probably wouldn't have a choice because of the the people I hang around. Most of them actually do have iPhones, so it's probably inevitable if I was uh, to do it. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If anybody can hear that, I don't know how well you can hear that. Apparently, I got the Bronco game going on in the other room, and it's, there's a bit of excitement going on. But anyway, yeah, I, it it seems like more and more people I seem to see are having iPhone or have iPhones. I think I saw a statistic earlier today saying, or maybe it was over the weekend, saying that now one in three um, mobile phones with uh, touchscreens are now iPhones. So it's almost kind of something that's getting harder and harder to get away from. Yeah, it's becoming the de facto. Like the iPod in the MP3 space, uh, the iPhone is is that in the smartphone space. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'd probably rather prefer to date a Droid user myself, but that's just me. Oh, uh, that yeah, that'd be cool. But anyway, um, and I cannot think of a halfway decent segue into the next. Uh, 
story? Um, using your iPhone might limit you in downloading porn, according to the previous story. But if you're on Comcast on your own uh, computer, Comcast can choose to throttle you by themselves. Hey, that was pretty good. Better than I could come up with. Yeah, kind of roundabout. Well, apparently <laughs> Comcast has unveiled their new throttling techniques to the FCC. Of course, this is comes after last year's big battle with the FCC over the fact that they were disconnecting BitTorrent users with the use of Sandvine, the um, technology from a Canadian company. But there's now a kind of a tiered um, throttling trigger condition kind of thing that they have going now where if you use more than 70% of your maximum downstream or upstream bandwidth for more than 50 minutes, or for more than 15 minutes, excuse me, it will throttle your connection back to 50% of the normal bandwidth for 15 minutes. Or if, for out of some reason, whatever it may be, the um, local area hub that you're connected to with your through Comcast happens to be overloaded and whatever algorithm they happen to have just happens to determine that you're the one that's the problem, then you get throttled. Yeah, it's the the latter one doesn't bother me as much as the former. So if you're using over 70%, over 15 minutes, then then they'll throttle you? Why? Uh, if you're Especially if you're... I can understand the second one where you're affecting other people who are on the same node as you. Mm-hmm. But the first one is you're just using your bandwidth. Yeah, that that's the one that annoys me the most. They both annoy me. The second one, largely because I can't really see the algorithm that determines how I'm the problem compared to somebody else. But the first one really annoys me just because, as everybody knows, I tend to do a lot of torrenting and stuff like that. So this tends to affect me more than probably most people but I don't see why I shouldn't be able to use as much bandwidth as I want as long as I'm not clogging the pipes That's kind of, it's kind of the same right. argument that I have against the bandwidth cap as long as I'm not affecting anybody else's traffic I don't see why I should be capped at 250 gigs yeah especially let's say you're using online backup and you're backing all your stuff to your, your S3 account and you're saying you know what? I'll set this for 3 o'clock in the morning when I know that uh, I won't be using the computer and no one else should be online and I should be able to get some good, you know, upload speed, and then your your backup's going on for 15 minutes of let's say I don't know a 20 gig backup, and so you're only maybe a gig into it after 15 minutes, and then boom you get throttled and then you wake up 6 a.m. ready to go to work and your backup's not done because you've been throttled by Comcast even though it affects no one else on your network. Yeah, and that's exactly what I do. I have my HP Media Smart Home server backing um, the important stuff up to S3, and I have that usually going on. I think it's between like two o'clock in the morning and like six o'clock in the morning, something or something around that anyway. And and that's just kind of the way I've done it ever since I've got it, and I've and it's been a little annoying at times because it takes a little bit longer than what it should to upload, which reminds me I need to check it because it seems like there were some files that I put on there the other day that it didn't seem like it 
uploaded and backed up to S3 now that I think about it. But one of the main things I have an issue with this is this is going to really affect um, streaming applications. Like if you're going to stream HD video to like your 360 or just something from Netflix or um, if you are if you happen to be a part of maybe a service like the OnLive gaming service that's in beta that's where mm-hmm. you can basically everything is rendered in a server farm and then just the stream of videos pushed down to you and you interact with it and they're saying that basically to have a good experience of HD quality or whatever you need a at least a 5 megabit um, megabits bandwidth that's really going to be kind of annoying if you're in the middle of a game and all of a sudden the quality of video and stuff goes way downhill just because Comcast decides you're using up too much bandwidth or if you're streaming a movie to your 360 and all of a sudden the quality on it goes down or it just stops for a little bit altogether until it can buffer enough to run just because you've been throttled. Yeah, and especially with the news about um, with uh, Best Buy linking up with uh, Cinema Now and like a lot of their devices are going to be um, uh, download content enabled for Cinema Now. Cinema, Cinema Now has high high quality HD streams and how is that going to affect you when you're watching a movie and then 15 minutes into the movie you get throttled back mm-hmm. yeah I think this is going to end up being a big issue for anybody that uses a service like OnLive streams from Netflix or downloads video content onto their PS3 or 360 or they run a Roku streaming box or a Voodoo streaming box or anything like that I think this is I have a feeling that we're going to see a decent-sized backlash once people start to notice these problems. So you're on Comcast. Are are there different tiers in Comcast? Like, hey, I just want to pay the basic internet charge and it's lower bandwidth? Uh, Yeah, from the way I understand it, there is a 1.5 megabit service that's like 20 bucks. It's complete crap. Might as well have the local DSL service for the same price for the same speed. Then there's right. the, the tier that I have, which I believe with the Doxus 3.0, it's now a 12 megabit tier, which I still have never seen anything above 10 megabits, and that annoys me. Um, then I believe there is a 16 megabit tier, which I think is like an extra 10 bucks a month or something on top of what I'm paying now. Then I believe now that they're rolling out if you're in a Doxus 3.0 area, I believe you can get up to a 50 megabit tier, and I, it, as I recall, it seems like that's like 150 bucks a month, but I'm not positive. So if you're at the 20 dollar tier, mm-hmm. then most likely you're hitting that 70 percent of your maximum downstream or upstream quite often. Yeah, if you're on the lowest tier, you're pretty much always hitting it. I, and right, and then you're, that means you're always getting throttled. Yeah, but if you're on the 50 megabit plan, you're rarely going to hit that, so they're never going to, almost never going to have to deal with these throttling issues unless they're um, deemed to be the problem when there's too much congestion on the network. Right, which means that you're on the, you're paying 20 bucks a month, you're you're downloading one video, and since it's uh, only 1.5 megs, you said. Mm-hmm. 
you're per- and that's just down. And if we're talking up, let's say we're doing the backup like we were talking about before, you're constantly being throttled. Not only is your backup going to take longer, period, it's going to take longer when it's being throttled. And and there's and, and you know you're just totally screwed because it's straight seventy percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's horrible. I, I don't I don't know. If, that's one of the things that doesn't make any sense. Is it doesn't make any sense to have this on the lowest tier because they're not going to be the ones hogging all the bandwidth anyway. Yet they're going to be the ones most affected. Right. I don't know. It it, it seems like one's bunch of screwed up deal to me but at least it's maybe not quite as screwed up as the new ACTA anti-piracy treaty that they're developing in secret within countries all over the world ACTA turning regular people regular people and ISPs into criminals since 18 blah 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 (laughs) (laughs) yeah apparently I guess they're having another round of negotiations over ACTA in Seoul this upcoming week which the way it seems to me is basically this is the RIAA and MPAA and groups like that basically trying to come up with some kind of an international treaty to to get everybody to sign to enforce like a a, a secret, secret international treaty. Yeah. To basically um, pretty much um apply the DMCA to all nations, implement a three-strikes law globally, and if the ISPs don't comply and disconnect you, even though you have no real recourse, there's no... you can't drag it through court to make them prove that you're infringing or whatever, and that you pretty much have nothing to do, and if the the ISPs won't do anything about it. I guess they're considered pirates then too. Yeah, and uh, the the person that has, uh, I think they said uh, they're doing this by um, IP addresses. Mm-hmm. So places that have, let's say, a coffee shop that the ISP is attached to, and they only have, they only give out a handful of IP addresses because that's what their router gives out, or even if they... But th- that doesn't even matter about the router. Um, if they're just using one, I, one, uh, one IP for the whole coffee shop, they a coffee shop could be held liable by this law because uh, if one person goes to a coffee shop and downloads, downloads something that's copyrighted, and they can get three strikes in one day. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those crazy things where... It sounds like it's basically what they were trying to push through in France as far as the three strikes part goes. But even in the end over there, I think they still managed to at least come up with some kind of an appeals process where you can fight the accusations. Yeah, but uh, let's hope... I'm I'm glad this came to light. I hope this gets um, taken care of as in destroyed and thrown away as soon as possible. Yeah, this is basically going to end up kind of screwing everybody in. It seems like it's the RIAA and MPA that are primarily the ones behind this, plus whatever members of government that they've purchased. And from what I understand, there's representatives of various companies that are playing kind of minor roles in this, 
those companies being like a Google and Microsoft, I believe, is in on the negotiations. And I, I think there's a, I think I saw a list not too long ago of some of the com- companies that are involved in the negotiations. But I, as I recall, they weren't giving out names of the people from, people from the companies. Yeah, all we need to do, or to to, to prove our point, is uh, have a government agency have an employee download copyrighted materials from a government agency computer, because the government agency would be the ISP, and then we should just take their internet away. Yeah. Well, what can I say? The the DMCA has never scared me away from it, so I can't say this is going to scare me away from it too much either. Just have to learn to be sneaky. Yeah, that's it, this only punishes the, the the people who are already following the rules. Yep, all all the honest people get screwed. All the sneaky people like me just go farther underground and never get caught in exactly. In the exactly. So, but at least there's one anti-piracy group, the anti-pirate groupen from that's apparently a Danish group that's finally decided it's not worth it, they're throwing in the towel, and they're no longer going to be suing pirates. Right. This kind of is reminiscent to me of the war on drugs in some countries, in which they just totally just legalized it and say, hey, just do it responsibly. And then uh, and then people realize, you know, it's not that, much of, that big of a deal, actually, after all. Yeah, I'm not sure if they've necessarily seen the light, or if... They've just kind of realized they keep losing all these battles in court, so it's not worth all the hassle and the legal fees and trying to investigate everybody and everything as to where it's just kind of a big money losing proposition for them. Yeah, it's it's probably they just focusing on the cases they can actually win. Why spend all this power, mint resources, and time in putting in uh, cases that are not fruitful? Yeah. It, that it never made a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, even here in the States, there's been, what, two trials or whatever that have gone ahead out of all the tens of thousands of lawsuits that the RIAAs file. I mean, there's the one against Jamie Thomas and the one against the kid with the that had the Harvard professor and everything uh, um, representing him, which yeah, okay. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I- I can't think of his name either. But as far as I know, those are the only two real ones that that have ever made it to trial. Most of them either get settled out of court or ignored or whatever. But it kind of amazes me that even the RIAA hasn't realized that this is kind of a, a fruitless move, even though they're supposedly making a fair decent amount of money on it. Yeah, I wonder how many of these cases we're going to see now. I think this is, uh, if they're, I mean, they're batting a zero, so it makes for them, it makes sense for them to get rid of this. But I wonder if people will start saying, you know what, how many cases are we winning as opposed to losing, and uh, do we, does it make sense for us to pursue this any further? Yeah, well, I never think it made any sense for them to pursue it in the first place, but. That's just me. So, anyway, that would be our last story of the day. Um, we do have our tip of the week. Apparently, I managed to come across a list of 100 open technology courses. 
So if you were interested kind of in going back to school maybe and or were just looking to buff up on some knowledge for some technology classes that are offered in school, uh, there's a list of 100 open course uh, courses for pretty much any geek, anything from data and processing in computers to network and computer security, and there's programming classes and everything in between, so if you're looking to just to check some of those classes out, there's a link in the show notes for that, which you can find at globalgeeknews.com. That has all of the stories that we talked about tonight, just like it does for every show. You can go through, read the stories that we've been talking about, find any little details that we missed. If, you, if we missed any important points, feel free to let us know in the comments for the show, which is also at globalgeeknews.com. Don't forget, you can donate to us, which is globalgeeknews.com slash donations, I believe. Um, either way, there should be a link at the top of the page for donations. Um, we do our best to bring you helpful information, good tips, and just to bring you everything we can about the news once a week, an hour a week. So, four hours a month. I, if you think about it, that's two movies that you may spend, I don't know, 50 bucks on taking you and somebody else to the movies a couple times a month. So, and we're giving you as much value as some movie that you're probably not going to like anyway is. So, feel free to donate to us. I mean, it takes time and effort to put together these shows and after all the audio issues we have, usually getting them up and running and everything and getting all the stories together. So we could certainly use some help. I just had to pay for a whole new round of hosting for the podcast, the blog, and all the other sites on Friday, and that was $190. So, And that's not including what I pay every year for, for domain. So this is not something cheap that I do. So I would appreciate any donations that you could do, or if you, or if you can't afford donations, that's fine too. Just um, spread the word about the podcast on Twitter or whatever social networks you're on or in forums or whatever. But if you donate at least $10, you will get your whatever um, link you have or whatever listed on the donations page. If you donate $25 or more, you'll get a shout-out on the show and if you donate more than $50, we'll... Now, I'll come up with something special if you donate more than that. But A tattoo. I don't know. I've actually been thinking, been throwing around some ideas for, like, some T-shirts and stuff. Uh, oh, okay. Well, that's less dramatic than a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, well, we might be able to come up with some kind of a tattoo design. Maybe, like, a free tattoo of the Global Geek News logo or something like that. I don't know. But... No, no, no. Whoever donates over $50, they, they get to tattoo something on you. Oh, no. Wouldn't no. quite do that. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, I am still I am kicking around some ideas for, like, T-shirts and stuff like that, so maybe we'll see if we can put something together for that, for any large donations or something like that. But anyway, don't forget to check out the blog, globalgeeknews.com slash blog. On Friday, I believe it was, I put up my new list of top 10 geek gifts for the 2009 holiday season. That's definitely worth checking out, especially if you 
are a geek, you're looking to buy something for yourself, or have a geek loved one that you're not real sure what to buy for them, there's some great ideas in there. Anything from a jacket with 28 different pockets to... Um, they're basically USB-powered monitors, which I haven't tried them myself. I'm actually planning on getting them as like a secondary monitor to set next to my monitor because I don't really have this room for a full-size monitor just to have like a tweet deck or something open in like a secondary smaller USB-powered monitor. But And there's even ones in there that are touchscreen. So you might want to definitely check that out if you get a chance. And I can't think of anything else other than to fan Global Geek News on Facebook and follow at Global Geek News on Twitter and follow me at PCNerd37 on Twitter and follow Wesley, which is Wesley83 on Twitter. And can you think of anything else that I'm forgetting? I always I always forget something and then realize it like after the show. Well, you already said the Facebook fan page uh, in the middle of the show. You could always do donation link. Uh, no, I think you covered just about everything. Well, hey, that that would be a first. Because usually about an hour after the show, I end up kicking myself because I forgot something. But, anyway, I... Oh, you forgot to link to the video of you kicking yourself. That's something I would like to know the link of. Yeah, I have the ability to do that, so maybe eventually that'll happen. But... Anyway, I need to get back to studying for finals, because I have more fi- another final to take tomorrow, lucky me. And So I will see you guys on the blog, and we will see you back here next week. Later. See ya.